You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as possible. This has been an amazing week, I guess, week and a half. Um, I actually get two mazel tubs. First of all, my son is engaged. Hello, supposed to say mazel tov. Hey, David, where's my mazel tov? Mazel tov, Well, I get another one. And my daughter is also engaged. I want another mazel tov. That's better. Anyways, it's really been a very busy but very beautiful week. Um, actually, um, both are from Chicago, which makes life pretty easy. Coming from Detroit to Chicago is not so bad. Uh, my son got engaged last week, Thursday. And my daughter got engaged. I can't, my brain's not even working anymore. But today is Thursday, Tuesday night. So I figured, let me just take a, a few minutes. It happens to be an interesting time of year. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago that the the Tuba of holiday, the 15th of Av, which was about uh, two and a half weeks ago, was a time always for um, either marriage or for boys and girls getting engaged. So I know I've talked about it in the past, uh, but whenever I have a good excuse to talk about uh, how we do it, it's a little different, um, a little more arranged, if you'd like to say it that way. But uh, lots of benefits and a lot of good things come out of it. And I'll just take you through the process quickly. So there's something called a shadchan. Eh, if you see a fiddle on the roof, uh, they make fun of it. There's probably other movies out there with a shadchan. Um, a shadchan could be in any business. You know, we call it networking, right? You, you, you go to a networking conference and people introduce you. I know you. You know him. I think you guys could, uh, could make a good business deal. So the concept... Of, of a middleman, headhunters, right? Maybe the shadchan word. In my circle, shadchan is a nice word. I have a feeling in other places it's not as well taken. Some people don't like it. I guess they'd rather their daughters meet a guy in a bar and let the guy take her out. I guess people would like that better. Um, but the basic concept of a shadchan is that the shadchan will know a boy, will know a girl. That's not enough. Okay? Let's not get carried away. That's not enough. The... They need to know the families, or they should know the families, or at least what the families are all about. As they can't always know the ins and outs of everybody. It's not always so so easy. But you know, this boy, for argument's sake, he wants to sit and study Torah for a, a bunch of years. Okay, so he wants a marriage partner that will help him with his studies. For the same price, you have a guy who wants to go to medical school. And it's going to take 10 years or 12 years till he finishes medical school and is actually earning a living. So he's going to need a wife that is willing to put up with less and uh, the hours that they'll put in so that eventually she will have a husband who's a doctor, if that's what's important to you. 
you you have different families raised differently. You have wealthy families, for example. Many times, forget about the movies, but people from wealthy families do better with people from wealthy families. They grew up similar. When they, when, when they grew up completely different, from different backgrounds, as romantic as it may sound, but down the line, there's a, there's a lot of difficulties in the connection because they grew up differently, they were raised differently, and they may say they love each other, but the likelihood is it's not true. They might lust for each other, but, uh, but the love is something that takes a lifetime to continuously build. So you need someone to know the families, know the backgrounds, understand that children have similar wants, similar needs. This girl is very high maintenance. If you let her go out with a guy who's a schlepper, it's not going to work because she needs someone who's going to make sure she's wined and dined and has the most beautiful clothes or drives the nicest car. And he, you know, is a janitor wasting our time over here. So first things first, the, the idea of a shadchan is they have a feeling, could be a man, could be a lady, um, for my children happen to have been a lady, but doesn't must be. Um, someone who sees the families and says these families could work together. No problem. Um, these children are different. This one maybe needs, again, high maintenance. This one needs somebody soft. This one needs somebody stronger. This one, uh, the girl is going to work. This girl needs to sit at home. This boy is going to study. This boy is going to go to work in a few years. This boy wants to live on the East Coast where things are happening. This girl wants to live in a small community. This boy wants to be a rabbi. This one wants to be uh, um, uh, in uh, maybe in uh, helping people become religious. You could run the gamut. Right? This guy wants to be a rabbi, and his wife wants to go shopping all day long. It's not such a good fit. She doesn't want to be a rabbitson. So as a, as a help, right? In other words, before we even say hello to each other, we already say, you know, I think you two would make a great fit. Then, normally in the process, you get a resume, believe it or not. Not so much information, but... Friends, family, who are these people? Do we fit with this kind of family? Is this something that our daughter or son is looking for? And then you do research. What kind of person is this? Is he or she a kind person? Is he or she a nice person? Is she a happy person? You have to know what's important to you. And you're going to call up friends, relatives, contacts, and say, what kind of person is this? Talk to me. And interesting enough, there's actually laws that even though normally we don't like to say not nice things about people, we fudge the truth or more. But here you got to tell the truth. You're not helping anybody. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe I don't care about this health issue. Maybe you do care about this health issue. Maybe this person has a crooked smile. Maybe this person has a twitch. I don't know. Maybe it bothers you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's some, uh, some genetics that we have to deal with. Now, it happens to be interesting. There is a Jewish organization, and uh, their name slips my mind, but uh, before boys and girls will go out, they actually take uh, blood tests to test to see if they're, they have to both be carriers. It started with Tay-Sachs. Tay-Sachs was a Jewish disease. I mean, it might have been by others, but it, it seemed to have been an, a, an Eastern European um, 
genetic disease, and if both parents were carriers, you had children that were not going to live. It was terrible, terrible, and the suffering. So they said, why let them get together? And they're going to they're gonna have these kids. It's too much suffering. Now, some people don't like it because you're playing genetics. You're almost playing like God. But, but at the end of the day, they test for multiple... I don't think they do everything, but uh, they test for multiple different... Um, genetic diseases, you can't really test for other stuff. Right? You're not testing if there's cancer in the family. It's not going to help you. And uh, the parents will call. They have the code numbers. Yeah, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't know if one is a carrier. They just tell you that they're not both carriers. So, uh, so things move along. And then there is the dance. There is the dating process. Depending if they live in the same city, if they live in different cities... The, the boy will pick up the girl. The girl will go to the boy's city. They'll go out. They'll go schmooze. Go to a lobby. I would say get a drink, but the drink is going to be like, you know, Coke. Um, see if they enjoy each other's company. Sometimes they go out and they have nothing to talk about. They, they have nothing in common. Okay, go home. Say, I, the guy had nothing to say. I don't like him. He had a funny-looking nose. He drank funny. Um... She sits crooked. Um, I don't know. Her head is uh, is lopsided. I don't know. I don't like the color of her hair. You pick whatever you want. Didn't work. No problem. Try again. And uh, if they enjoy each other's company, they can go out another date. They could go. They could go see if they enjoy playing games together. Go to Dave, Dave and Buster's or go bowling or. Or take a walk on a boardwalk. See if you enjoy each other's company. See if there's a connection. See if there's a spark. Um, my mother always uh, would, would joke with us. She says, oh, you guys go out so little, you barely go out. I said, ma. I said, you and dad went out how many dates? Because I always know the answer. She says, oh, one. And they got engaged the next morning. Like my mother said to my father, you're the guy, that's it. So I said, my mother will always say, we really knew. We, we knew what we were doing. We understood. I said, okay, so these kids, five, six, seven, eight, whatever they need, um, if they feel there's a connection and if they feel comfortable with each other and if they enjoy each other's company. So now, again, you're, you're in a very, a very healthy situation. You have parents that are going to help you. There's a big support system. Generally speaking, in Orthodox circles, you have a support system of parents We'll help financially, we'll help emotionally, we'll guide, well, hopefully we're not getting in the way. But but the idea is the children, this is something that could work. Now, I, I neglected to tell you one more point. In, in, the, in Orthodox circles, the idea of marriage is not just because these two people want to get along physically. That's not what it's all about. Of course, it's important. Don't get me wrong. Very important. But the goal here is to is to build a family with with filled with spirituality. You're looking to serve God, and God wants to be served through families having children, teaching their children Torah commands. That that so there's a there's a very clear goal. It's interesting. Uh, my daughters new in-laws, so he said to me something very interesting. Now, he happens to be a businessman. I, of course, am a rabbi. Is that a connection? Could be. Why? Why could that be a connection? So he told me a beautiful story that his rabbi told him 
he had studied for many years in school and in yeshiva, and he was dabbling in different businesses. And probably his rashiva, his rabbi, understood that, you know, he's a talented fellow, um, but he would he would serve the Jewish people better by working. So he told me, he said, everybody has to serve God. That's our goal in life. Everyone has to serve God. Some will serve God by studying. Some will serve God by teaching. And some will serve God by working. Some will serve God by working and creating a business and bringing more people in and helping more people get jobs. Some people go into business and then end up getting on boards of organizations and helping organizations raise funds. Some will become wealthy and support said organizations. So as long as your goal is to serve God, and that's what you're doing, so you're doing what God wants. So yeah, businessman, rabbi, what's the problem? As long as both of them understand that the purpose in life is serving God, which is the backstory to one of my children's um, engagements, if you weren't following along carefully. I had to help you on that one. Um, But in any case, so when, when, when... when children from Orthodox families have a very clear goal what life is all about, so it's a different picture. We are looking to create a new family unit where the children want to serve God, and they will do it. You know, life will, will show them the way, but they, they already have their goals, their arrow, their direction is already there. And since it's already there, so now, as long as there's a healthy connection and there's and they enjoy each other's company, and hopefully there is a spark, and there is a, a little bit of a chemical uh, reaction. So now, with their family support, um, they understand that this is not the end, this is the beginning. In other words, you, you're looking to build a relationship. These are two people, two children, yes, but they're looking to build a healthy relationship. So as long as you're willing to build a relationship and you understand it's not a throwaway society and it, you know, it worked out today, but you know, I don't know, maybe I can find a new flavor tomorrow, that's not life. I mean, for some people it's life, right? If your direction of life is physical, my pleasure, what's good for me, what I enjoy, if that's all there is to it, then yeah, why would anything last? Like, how, no one can help you with that one. You're on your own and you're not going to get anywhere with it. We... We encourage, teach, educate our children um, what life is all about. So if you think you have to fall madly in love to say this is going to be a good marriage, then you're a little confused. It's nice. It's beautiful. But really what we're looking for is, is, is two people where there's a connection that will build a relationship and, and hopefully with God's help will, will build a complete Jewish family, and then they will do the same thing again with their children as they raise them. And uh, that's a basic overall shidduch process. Um, it just happened to work out. God worked it out that my two children got engaged at the same time. So uh, it's very beautiful. We took a cute picture. Like, you send around pictures. Everybody sends pictures, right? Br- gr- bride, groom, chas, and kala. So I took a picture of my son and daughter, and I showed it to somebody. I said, look, the bride and groom. It was my brother-in-law. He didn't recognize my son. So he's looking at it. I said, hello, these are both my kids. It's a joke picture. Hello, right? You get it? So I think he gets it. I'm not sure. He probably doesn't listen to my show, so I don't have to worry if he's listening to me make fun of him. 
But in any case, it's all good. So it leads me to, with my next statement, and that is, we're not prophets. Parents are not prophets. We cannot tell our children what the future will hold. We can tell them, we can advise them, we have experience, we can tell them what works, what doesn't work, but we know that no one knows exactly in what direction their life will take. There'll be left turns and right turns and straight and and ups and downs. And I mean, life is life, right? Life could be beautiful. Life is beautiful. But we're not prophets. We have experience. However, that idea of prophets uh, leads me into this week's story portion. Because this week's story portion happens to talk about prophets. And the Torah says if a false prophet comes so and he tells you to serve idols, you kill him. So there's a, there's a lot of confusion on this. So a prophet came, and you're only allowed to listen to the true prophet. You're not allowed to listen to the false prophet. Okay, how am I supposed to know? It's not like he carries a card, right? And not only that, even the false prophet is going to have the ability to do miracles. So doing miracles is not going to help me. So how am I supposed to know who's the real prophet and who's the trickster and the shyster? If God will allow both to do miracles or fool me and dress the part and act the part, how exactly am I supposed to figure it out? So it's interesting. You start with Moses, right? Um, how did Jewish people know to believe him? Well, because he did a couple of miracles. The Egyptians did magic all over the place. Maybe Moses is a magician, right? How'd they know, Right? He's not a great orator, right? We've talked about in the past. He had a terrible speech impediment. So how do you know that Moses, I'm supposed to follow him? Why? Because he says so? So that it seems that you could sense it. It happened that there was a code word that he said, to, but that was really only so the Jewish people knew that Moses was taking them out. But, uh, but I saw that the Jewish people sensed the, the divine presence was with Moses. They sensed it. Because Moses was Moses. So that's good for Moses. The problem is, what do we do for other prophets? So, interesting enough, there are other rules and regulations when it comes uh, to prophets. First of all, interesting enough, a prophet must be, similar to a king, by the way, must be born Jewish. He cannot be a convert. There is one convert that is in the prophets, but his prophecy only applied to the uh, to the nation called Edom. It didn't apply to the Jewish people, and he only has one chapter. But in general, the prophet, more than general, the prophet had to be born Jewish. Interesting enough, by the way, the Talmud says there were 1.2 million prophets. They had schools to train prophets. It was it, you didn't wake up one morning and you were a prophet. You had to, I mean, you had to be trained, but you had to be a righteous person, right? So part of the training was just being completely immersed in Torah knowledge. But besides being immersed in Torah knowledge, you also, you also had to, um, you also had to, I guess, learn things that God wants in the prophet. For example, you had to be a happy fellow. Right? We find by Elijah, when he wasn't happy, God didn't talk to him. We find by Jacob, when he wasn't happy, God didn't talk to him. So receiving prophecy, you have to, you have to, you have to, be, you have to be in a happy 
good state. But um, but the the prophets, and, and I think people could figure it out. And as the prophet had a mission, his mission was that uh, he he the prophet himself needed to know what God wanted, and he needed to understand the Jewish people's destiny. His job was to give the Jewish people the courage and the spiritual strength to persevere. That's really, sounds very fancy, but really, really, that's what he, that's what he was out there working to accomplish. You're, you're, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. You're, you are not doing this command properly. You, are, you think that this is what God wants. I'm telling you that's not what God wants. But the whole purpose, the prophet's purpose was to make us better. Right? That, was his, that was his job, to make us into a special nation. Um, happens to be that there are a few rules and regulations. In other words, a prophet, um, it had to be somebody that was already well-known as being a righteous person. It was, everybody knew this guy, is, he's a tzaddik, he's righteous, and he's special, and he serves God. You already knew he was a good guy. If somebody comes from off the street and, uh, and he was a bum, and all of a sudden he says, oh, God spoke to me, We're, we don't even look at such a person. First, we need to know that you are a spiritual person. Because without it, guys, are talking to you. After we know all that, then we're ready to talk. Um, another thing is that anything a prophet said was going to happen, anything in the future, it's very simple. If the prophet said something good is going to happen, if it doesn't happen, he's not a prophet. However, interesting enough, if the prophet says something negative, something bad is going to happen, it doesn't have to happen. The, the simplest, greatest example is Jonah. Right? Jonah tells the city of Nineveh that in 40 days, they're so wicked, God's flipping over the city. So what does it say? The, 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 the city all repented. Now, Jonah was waiting for the city to be turned over. He was unhappy when they weren't turned over. But because that city of Nineveh repented, so now they don't deserve the, the bad prophecy. So if a prophet says something bad is going to happen, it doesn't have to happen. Because we could we could repent. Okay. Um, oh man, the day is flying. Um, okay, I give you one more. Um, because the Jewish people have prophets, we are not allowed to go to what's called like necromancers, like people used to go to like these witches and crystal balls, or they they would a seance, which debatable if it's true or not true. There is a story. In the Talmud about a seance, there actually is such a, a real story. Um, the question is, was it a one-time deal? That was with King Saul. Um, or it was actually something that was real. Um, whatever it was, um, God tells the Jewish people, you have to be, you have to be, um, Tum is like perfect or simple. It's an interesting word. The same word that means perfect also means simple. It's called Tam which is also, by the way, this, the same word we use by the Haggadah, where we talk about the simple son. He doesn't ask complicated questions. He's just trying to figure out what's going on. So simple, plain, perfect, all the same. God wants us to be what's called Tumim. Don't go looking for all these hocus-pocus, again, crystal balls or seances. Don't go looking for all this stuff. You have prophets. You have prophets. Go to the prophet and say, what's going to be? What am I supposed to do? What does God want from me? 
that's the idea. Once we have these prophets, that's what God wants. So now the question becomes, I've got a prophet nowadays. So if I don't have a prophet nowadays, can I go ahead and go to the seance? Can I go ahead and uh, and go to a crystal ball? Forget about all the people that do it for, for jokes. I, that doesn't really count, I don't think. Right? Um, it's an interesting question. The reason, Really, the answer is supposed to be that you cannot. You can't go looking for, for, uh, for any other way except the way God set up for the Jewish people, which is through the prophet. Or, by the way, through the breastplate with the Kohen Gadol, which was another kind of prophecy. The letters would stick out. We've talked about it in the past couple of weeks. The problem is with King Saul. King Saul, um, who had killed many witches, by the way, um, was going to war with the Philistines, and he needed to know what was going to be the next day. So he went to one of these seance ladies, and she br- she was able to bring up King Saul, and it says she fainted. And the question is, why? So it says she saw Samuel coming up head first, and no, it was supposed to be feet first. Um, but even over there, it's questionable amongst the rabbis, was it real, or was it like, or she was pretending or even better, it never worked. And now all of a sudden it's really working because God was willing to send a special message to King Saul. So that happens to be an interesting, special case when we deal with this. But as always, the music is playing and we got to move along. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for one of the sponsors listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David, Alan, and Andy in the back, who hopefully will help me with my generator. I will listen to Food for Thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and I'm Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.